Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The LSU men's basketball team season comes to an end in Nashville as they fall short in the second round of the SEC men's basketball tournament inside the Bridgestone Arena with a loss last night to the Vanderbilt Commodores. What do we make of Matt McMahon's first season at the helm? Some good, lots of bad but also probably need a lot of patience as well, right? That's the other part of that. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction by the producer, soon-to-be extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. we got a good show lined up for you today. Good way to kind of wrap up the week. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast will be joining us, talking all things Astros and World Baseball Classic. Jacques Doucet, famed television sports anchor reporter will join us we'll talk lsu maybe get a little saints talk with him as well joe v dream from balfour week will join us that kicks off next week it's a great local event about heritage music culture art and then bill bender from the sporting news will join us college football basketball reporter as conference tournaments wrap up and we get closer and closer to Selection Sunday, which, of course, will be this Sunday, as we'll find out where the Raging Cajun men are headed for the men's tournament, and we'll find out where the LSU women will be headed for the women's tournament. We know the LSU women will be hosting the first two rounds at home We just don't know who the opponents are, and we don't know if they're going to be a two-seed or a three-seed either. Everyone said that they were going to be a two-seed no matter what, yet I'm seeing the latest projections having them be a three-seed, which is interesting, that a team with two losses that everyone said was going to be a high two-seed is now all of a sudden a three-seed. But these things are always fluid. We're going to start off, though, with LSU men. They defeated Georgia in the first round of the SEC tournament on Wednesday night. Bit of a surprise. They were able to hold on. And then they were taking on a Vanderbilt team that they'd already had defeated. It was one of the few wins they had against SEC competition this year. But Vandy was just too much. Led by eight at the break. 
LSU played better in the second half, but it wasn't nearly enough to overcome the deficit as the Commodores defeat the Tigers 77-68. to K.J. Williams, once again, was a bright spot. He's been, let's be honest, the lone bright spot for Matt McMahon's team this season. 26 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists. 10 of 16 from the field, that's called efficient. Even was 4 of 8 from 3-point range. Adam Miller, he was not. Only had 2 points, 3 personal fouls. 0 for 9 from the field, 0 from 6 from three-point range. But that's what you got to do with Adam Miller. You got to take the bad with the sometimes good. And last night, he was bad. Trey Hannibal chipped in 13 points and 13 boards. Cam Hayes gave him 16 points. But it wasn't enough as Vanderbilt moves on to the SEC quarterfinals. They had three players scoring double figures in their starting lineup. They also had someone come off the bench, score them 11 points. And this is a perfect example of LSU had guys scoring double figures in the starting lineup. But they didn't have anyone come off the bench. And that's the problem. The big problem that I see from Matt McMahon's team is, A, as we've talked about a ton before, the actual talent difference between LSU and the other teams in the SEC. It's always quite noticeable. There's only, in my opinion, one guy that's on the roster that could play for other teams, and that's K.J. Williams. The rest of the guys really couldn't play. Maybe Adam Miller is a bench player for another team. But a guy who's a volume shooter who doesn't make his shots, mm, not necessarily a game changer, is it? So the talent on the roster has to improve. That's one. And, he, and that will help remedy the issues that they have. Because you know they're being coached. You know they practice. They just don't do fundamental basketball well. That comes with talent. We know Matt McMahon can coach. We've seen him coach elsewhere. And you can get away with not playing fundamentally sound basketball against inferior competition like they did early in the season. But when you actually have to play legit teams that have talented players, plural, just not one, but multiple talented players. That's when you get exposed. And that's what's happened here with LSU this year. Didn't have the talent. Didn't have the talent. You could tell. You listen to Matt McMahon afterwards in press conferences, and he was asked directly, well, why do you think you keep doing this? And he looked at you and go, I don't know. That's a man that understands he has limitations, and understands that the talent that he has on the roster can't do fundamental basketball, like dribbling without bouncing it off your foot, passing the ball three to four times on a possession, making six-foot jump shots. 
fundamental basketball. That's the biggest thing when you watch LSU play this past season, what they don't do well. Adding more talented players helps with that. That will almost kind of fix itself. Because talent alone can hide deficiencies. So the roster's got to get better. And the other part of that is he has no depth. None. He has no depth. Once again, the only guy he has on the roster that could play anywhere else is K.J. Williams. Maybe Adam Miller. Trey Hannibal has played better. Is Trey Hannibal a starter for most other SEC teams? Probably not. But you have no depth. You have no one that can come off the bench and step up for you. That's the other part of it. Not only do you have to have talented guys in your starting five, which LSU lacks, they don't have anyone coming off the bench to help them. So, this is going to be a critical offseason for the LSU men's basketball team. Because they got some work to do. The the good, you know, the feel-good vibes from the early start where their only loss was to Kansas State. They went 11-1 in non-conference play, and then they beat a top-10-ranked Arkansas team. That's all been gone for months now. Now they got to figure out, okay, we tried to do this this way, get hired at the last minute, have to throw together a roster. Once again, he did not inherit a single player. Now he got one of them to come back. But he had to build this roster from scratch. He had to take the leftover parts and put it all together and make a team. Not optimal by the way. Okay, that didn't work. First season's out of the way now. First season's out of the way. Now what do we do? Got to go get talented players. He's got to go hit the transfer portal. He's got to go hit the JUCOs. Because you can't roll out a roster similar to what they had this year next season because it's going to be the same thing. He's got to he's got to get an NCAA ruling so he can move on with the with the program as well. But you can't depend on the NCAA to give you that ruling. I'm just saying I I don't know any valuable transfer in the portal that's going to come here with not knowing if they're even going to be eligible for the tournament. You know what I mean? I don't think the tournament matters. I, I if you for good transfer players that are on the market, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I don't know how many transfer guys are willing to come, especially like a grad transfer coming for one more year who's going to come here and say, I can't play in the postseason, but, or I don't know if I'm going to be all in the play in the postseason, but I want to go ahead and play my last year at LSU. I don't, I don't know how many guys are out there that are willing to do that. I think you're going to get a lot of the guys that you got. If you got talented guys that want to make it to the NBA, they're not going to care because the NCAA tournament, that's a big, huge myth. It's an urban legend that the tournament matters to guys that are going to the NBA. It may matter, but it's not the deciding factor. Because if you're going to the NBA, the NCAA tournament's not going to increase your stock. If you're going to the NBA, I don't think you're picking LSU either. Like, I, Well, you have in the past. Yeah, when they were a top program and when they had a chance to make a run. I don't know. I think you're undervaluing that a little bit. I don't know how many. Again, I think he's going to get a lot of the same type of guys he got this year. He has, but that's my point. It's not that I'm undervaluing. My point is, 
if he tries to go out there and gets the same type of guys that he has there and he's going to get grad transfers, that ain't going to make the difference, man. He has to go out and get talent. He has to go out and get talent. You're thinking fifth, six-year seniors are going to push the needle for this team? I don't think so, man. They need a ton of guys. And if you're going to bring in a couple of – look what LSU did. Angel Reese is not a fifth-year senior. Angel Reese left a program where she was an All-American to come play for LSU. That's what he's going to have to do if he wants to turn this around. Going to get mid-major fifth-year seniors is not going to turn it around. It's just not going to do it. I think it's one of the first times I've like strongly disagreed with you, so I like that. It, I, I just it, think it, it, it didn't work this year, and he had no, guys I, that he coached. I don't and it didn't think work. that's what he. I'm not saying he needs to go out and get a bunch of fifth year transfers. I'm just saying as long as they don't have a ruling, I don't think he's going to be able to recruit the way he wants to and go get top level talent. And thus, it's guys who are again, because I think if if anybody's considering other big time programs and they have other offers, why would they choose a school they can't play in the postseason? In I don't think, and I mean that's. You talk about exposure, guys who want to get in the league. The tournament matters to an extent in those situations to be able to play for smaller school players. But if you're a big time player, it doesn't matter, right? But I just don't see the big time player right now wanting to go to that program. Is what I'm saying. But isn't that the job of the coach to convince said player to do so? Yeah, but he's not supposed to have these unknown restrictions going against his program. Where, but he may not get anything. And that's and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying they need to know. They need to know one so way or another. So if they don't know, then it's going to be okay for them to be mediocre again next year? No, I'm saying, I'm saying if they don't know, I don't see how he's going to get it turned around because I just don't see top-level talent stepping into a situation as muddy as that one would be. How now, about middle-tier talent? Sure. You can get some guys. What would you consider K.J. Williams? Right around, I mean, maybe an up, upper, middle to upper tier. Upper I, middle tier. Com- yeah, compared to the rest of college basketball. Because we may be on the same page here. What if he gets like two K.J. William type players? Not the skill set, but just the caliber of athlete, the caliber of player, upper second tier kind of guy, upper middle tier kind of player who could play in the SEC because that's the only guy they have on the roster that can legitimately. Let's say he gets a couple more of those guys. Then he could probably turn it around. Well, he's. We're gonna find. Look, we're gonna find out how how good a coach Matt McMahon is real quick. And maybe we might not even find out how good a coach he is, but we're gonna find out if he's a top level guy because he's gonna have to get creative, mm-hmm. and he's gonna have to he's gonna have to pull something off here. I mean, this is like we're saying. It's now next week the NC, which we know how they work. Next week they could just come out and say there's no penalties against the program. Move on. Now, or it could be two years from right. now. Like like that. That's the frustrating thing if you're an LSU guy. Is and they drag their feet. I, I don't understand how an organization makes their investigations go as long as they do. Like I, I don't understand. And then they get to pick and choose who gets really punished. Roy Williams, North Carolina, not really. Bill Self at Kansas, not really. Uh, you know how that works? We get to pick and choose who we want to punish really bad. And a lot of times the coaches who leave are the ones that don't have to face the punishments. If 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 Will Wade gets hired by McNeese, McNeese isn't going to have a postseason ban. There may be a show clause, though, right? That could be an issue if he does go to the Cowboys. But once again, you're, you're we're talking about now we have two programs that are going to be essentially in limbo. Whoever hires Will Wade and Will Wade's old team, the LSU Tigers, because the NCAA won't get off their 
took us and make a decision. I would highly, I would be shocked if McNeese got any sort of punishment if they hired him or any school that hires him. It just in the past, you've just seen those Correct. coaches be able to move on. The and, coaches and get and to move on, and they it. punish the program that they left. And the and the the biggest thing for me is the players who had obviously. At nothing. this point, LSU's roster probably has zero guys who are even remotely involved with any of that situation. Had nothing to do with it. And those are the the people who are you know getting punished, not the program. Even essentially, it's the players who don't get to play. And anyway, what, once again, we you and I can spend three hours about the NCAA, <laughs> and it would not be enough. It would not be enough. We'll talk more about this game. We'll talk more about the LSU season. We'll also unveil our poll question of the day, which is all about the purple and gold. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Yeah, I think clearly disappointed in the overall result of the season. Uh, I know you, you asked me, I mean, one of your first questions when I was blessed to get to take this job, uh, is what are your goals? I mean, my goal is the same every year. I want to help our players and our team max out and become the best we're capable of being. And whether that's 15 wins, 18 wins, or, or 31 wins. And um, I don't think we were able to get that accomplished this year. And that's clearly my responsibility. But I also, you know, there's the reality. Also, I'm well aware, and I'm, I'm not an excuse maker. I, you know, I don't blame anybody or, or complain. The, the reality is we didn't take over for the 22-win LSU team that went to the NCAA tournament. We took over a program in crisis, zero players, zero signees. Um, really had to start at ground zero and try to put a team together and, uh, and do our best moving forward. Unfortunately, wasn't able to get it done at the level I would have liked to in January and February. Uh, we'll take quite a few positives from the year. Uh, number one, I'm excited and thrilled about the opportunity to coach at LSU. Uh, it was a privilege getting to watch KJ Williams come in and be an all SEC player. Uh, you know, there were moments to the comeback at Wake Forest, largest comeback since 1996 at LSU, the home win against Arkansas. Um, but at the end of the day, didn't get the job done at the level I would have liked to have gotten it done. And we'll learn from it and look forward to moving into the future. LSU men's basketball coach Matt McMahon asked about to give his thoughts on the season as a whole after they were eliminated from the SEC tournament last night with the loss to Vanderbilt. There were some nice moments that you can maybe build on, right? And he pointed them out. The Wake Forest win, the Arkansas win, the play of K.J. Williams coming in, earning all-conference honors. But I – he's still got to – he's got to at least go out and get himself two more K.J. Williamses. 
like he has to. And it's going to be an immense challenge. Dawson and I agree on that. I don't disagree with that. He's just going to have to find a way. And I know the NCAA punishment is looming. If there's going to be a punishment at all, because they can never make up their mind on what they punish and what they don't punish or how they punish. or It's infuriating what they do there in Indianapolis, the NCAA headquarters. But he's got to get more players. This year was probably the best-case scenario. Pick up some wins against non-conference opponents. Got to win over a top-10 team on a night where they had an off night and you played some of your best basketball. But you got to find yourself at least two, maybe I'd say three more K.J. Williams types of players. If they can get that type of talent influx, players on the caliber of K.J. Williams to come in, they can be a winning program. Will they be a title-contending program? No, but they cannot be 14-20. and 20. They could be a 500-team in SEC play and have an overall winning record. I think that's the next step. I think, for me, what this year showed all of us, Dawson, is that there's a reason why Scott Woodward gave Matt McMahon such a lengthy contract. Because he understood that this is going to take a while. Like, even though you can fix things pretty much quickly in college basketball, we see it every year, right? Come in, get the right transfers, get the right players, coach them up. You can turn things around quickly. I don't think there's turning anything around quickly at LSU. It's going to take... I think they can take a step next year and have a winning record. I think that should be the realistic goal. Next year, win 18, 19 games. That should be your goal and try to be 500 in SEC play. Because that would show progress of making the step with the NCAA violation still hanging over them, everything like that. But but there's a reason why he got, what, an eight-year contract from Woodward? I, Scott probably saw it before the rest of us did and went, this is going to be a while. This is going to take a long – we're in this for the long haul here. It's going to take a long time to turn around the men's basketball program. Yeah, I certainly feel for the guy, honestly, when you hear his comments and the way he's talking. And, I mean, you know, he knew what he was getting himself into, so I, I guess you shouldn't in some ways. But, you know, I, I guess also that – I think that early start probably even surprised him and, and the people around that program and maybe gave him a sense of false hope about what this year was going to be and, and – and, I wouldn't say how easy the job was going to be, but, you know. That's fair. Maybe thought, okay, here we go. We, we, we got this thing going the way we want to. But I, I think it's also further proof, like, the way this year played out is, you know, in my opinion, the punishment's already been handed down by the NCAA. Your coach left. Your whole team left. You had a guy who's had to come in and clean up just a mess and completely rebuild a roster, uh, and, and the program's already had a down year, and they're going to miss the thing. So I, in my opinion, the, the punishment's already been had. Now, we've seen the NCAA sometimes doesn't think that way, and they don't care. Um, but uh, I, I would I would be – I think it would be – now, look, if they want to punish the athletic department for the way they handled the situation or give fines or something like that to the athletic department, I think that's fine. Whatever, they, whatever precedent would say that they should do on that side of things, go ahead and do it. But I think – to punish this program and, and this coach who's come in and had nothing to do with those things, 
Um, in my opinion, it would be a little overkill, but we'll and see. and the longer you wait, if you're the NCAA, like you have to. You have to do this while the iron is hot, right? Yeah, does the time spent in purgatory factor into the uh, to the punishment here? Correct, because then you're going to turn around. Let, let's say they don't get their act together this offseason. So you're going to keep waiting. It just feels like it's going to be one of those things that the NCAA, it, this is going to sound weird, it just feels like the NCAA's kind of forgot about it. <laughs> like... It was a file, and the file fulfilled in between the desk and the wall. I wouldn't put it past them. Where, where's that file about the LSU situation? Yeah, what's the, yeah, what's the update on that? And then the guy goes, uh, what are you talking about? Well, uh, um, I'm new here. <laughs> it's, just, it's just awful, awful. But he's going to have to recruit, and it's going to be tough. And I agree with you. I don't disagree with your point that it's going to be immensely tough for him to recruit, but he's got to find a way to recruit guys to come there. He's got to find a way because if you don't get talented guys there, you're going to be in the same boat you are right now. He's got to find a way. Poll question of the day. Do you think Matt McMahon can turn around the LSU men's basketball team? 47% of you say yes. 27% say you're not sure yet. That's fair. 26% say no. Salty Steve has chimed in. Absa freaking lootly. He hired Bonnie Taylor. Tyler to sing the opening line of Total Eclipse of the Heart before every practice next year. Hashtag No Salt Friday. I mean, you could have went with Lost in France or More Than a Lover as well. That's some of other uh, Bonnie's great tunes there, Salty Steve. But I'll go with Total Eclipse of the Heart. That's fine. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, to be able to successfully answer the question, I would really need to care a little bit more about basketball than I do. I would like to see March Madness come and then go so at RP3 could have more time to talk about college baseball. Just hold on, bud. Just hold on. Yeah, one thing I'm not going to do is give up talking about March Madness. <laughs> JPK, the OD, says, Yes, Scott Woodward has hit on every coaching hire he's made. I see no reason why this one won't be different. The uh, Pickle slow Will Wade investigation by the hopelessly inept NCAA is slowing up the rebuild. Hashtag stay the course. Also like to point out, it took a while at Texas A&M for Buzz Williams to get going too, right? And Woodward hired him. Look how good A&M is this year. About four years in, right? Takes a while. It takes a while. And Buzz took over a far better situation than Matt McMahon took over. So, I don't know. Probably need to wait. See this team really start being maybe an NCAA tournament team. Year three. Maybe even year four. Depending on what happens with the NCAA. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep those thoughts coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Don't get sideways with the comments. Sometimes you guys like to get a little sideways with the comments with each other. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to look ahead to Selection Sunday. Dawson, he is a savant when it comes to this type of stuff. What needs to happen for the Raging Cajuns to get a higher seed on the men's side? What about the women? Is he buying into this notion that they're going to drop down, the LSU women are going to drop down to a three-line? Dawson and I will discuss that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Just a few days away from Selection Sunday, where we'll find out the complete field for both the NCAA women's bracket and the NCAA men's bracket. Conference tournaments are wrapping up. In the SEC, for example, for the men, quarterfinals will be tonight, semis Saturday, finals on Sunday. Having championship games on the Sunday of Selection Sunday is always intriguing to me, Dawson. I don't... A lot of times we put a lot of stock in, say, Power 5 teams that win those conference tournaments. But yet, year after year, we see that it really doesn't matter because the committee has already kind of figured out where they're going to go. <laughs> so, yeah, it really only matters if you're a losing team, right, and you make a run in your conference tournament. I don't know why they just don't have the conference tournaments end on Saturday. Why do they have to all go to Sunday? Well, we already know the answer. It's for television revenue. But conference tournaments are wrapping up, and the field will be unveiled. Let's start with the women. LSU was a team that only lost two games all season. Lost one game to undefeated defending national champion South Carolina on the road in Columbia. That was not a close game. And then they got upset by Tennessee in the semifinals of the SEC Women's Tournament. So only two losses, and most people, most experts, most beat reporters said, Oh, they're already locked into a two-seed no matter what happens in the SEC tournament. They're a two-loss team. They were ranked in the top three. But in the polls, they took a tumble after losing to Tennessee. Stayed in the top ten, but just barely at nine. And now I'm seeing things and hearing things that the LSU women are projected to be a number three seed. All right, D'Lo. Do you buy into this notion that LSU is going to be a three seed after we were told they were going to be a two seed for, I don't know, the better part of the last month, and all of a sudden that's changed in the last three days? Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, so, you know, look, I'm a little less tied in with this just because also there's a lot less publications that project out the women's bracket. Correct. Um, there's approximately 7,242 websites that project <laughs> men's brackets. And far less for women's, which, you know, is is getting better. I think the coverage, we've seen ESPN, they've been doing a better job in the past few years of kind of promoting the women's tournament. And they've and stuff been like committed that. to doing a better job as well. Right. Um, but they are basically the only big time. And what you're seeing also with the women's bracket, for whatever reason, is a lot of other websites and things are just taking ESPN's projections and kind of talking about them. So you're not getting different. So you're now all of a sudden you're seeing three seed everywhere. But I think most of that is because... They're all using the ESPN projections and then kind of writing their own articles using those projections. Okay. Whereas on the men's side, all these different websites kind of and and they've for a long time now they've been trying to you'll see them post their percentage of how many correct picks they make per year. It's become like a competition almost where people try to project the men's bracket correctly. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely possible. Now the thing that I keep going back to is they're still third in the net, so they're third in the country overall in the net rankings, which again are supposed to be the heavily most heavily weighted factor among anything um, but ultimately the committee has the right to do whatever they want I think the AP poll you know the interesting thing here is is Utah is one of those teams that 
that would be the interesting one to see if they would jump LSU as a two seed. Now, Utah did make a nice run, but they lost in the Pac-12 tournament championship game to Washington State. So, you know, Washington State also was a was kind of a surprise winner. They're only nine and nine in conference play, and then they made a run all the way to the tournament. Uh, or actually, no, wait, what round was that in? Quarterfinals. So, wow, I'm way off. So there you go. Just erase everything I just said. Utah lost in the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. So they didn't, as LSU did, they kind of struggled there. Um, whereas if they'd have made a run deep into that tournament, you'd have felt like they'd have been firmly on the two line. So I still think with the net ranking, I'd have them as a two seed. And uh, I would be surprised in that regard. But then again, the the AP poll and some of the other publications and the, and the strength of schedule, I think, is the number you're going to see thrown out yes. there. Which, of course, we knew about. You'd imagine that the 28-2 record would maybe outweigh that. And look, before they had the loss to Tennessee, let's say they get back to the SEC championship game and their two losses are both to the best team in the country. I don't think this would be much of a question at all. That Tennessee loss, I think, kind of put question in some of the minds. And um, we'll see. But like I said, the the difference with this is I feel far less confident that that's what the committee's going to exactly do because you're only really hearing this from one publication. Whereas on the men's side, you're hearing a, it's a kind of a culmination. So with UL's seeding, I feel a lot more confident because I'm using averages as opposed to just the one data point. So where do we stand now this morning? You still feel confident that LSU will get a two seed. Either way, if they're the two or the three seed, they're going to be at home for the first two rounds of the NCAA Women's Tournament. Right. They'll host those games inside the PMAC. It should be an electric atmosphere for Kim Mulkey's team. Yeah, and the last thing I'll add on that is is currently, if you're going by what ESPN has, they do have Utah in as a two-seed. They have UConn as a two-seed. I think we feel pretty good that UConn's not dropping. They have Iowa and Maryland as the other two-seeds. So Iowa made the run in the Big Ten tournament. I think Utah's the one to watch out for. And again, I would have LSU ahead of Utah um, if I were making the bracket, but I'm not, unfortunately, maybe one day. Um, but, so who's uh, on that side of the bracket then with the – with ESPN really being the only per, uh, projections so LSU's, for the women. Right, LSU's projected matchup, their projected region, um, would be in the, let's see, yeah, the Seattle regional, which is Virginia Tech as the one seed. So Maryland would be your two seed. Their first-round matchup's projected as Towson, and then they would have the winner of Arizona and the play-in game, Purdue and Princeton. So honestly, I don't think that's the worst region for them to be in. I think Virginia Tech would, would maybe be the one seed that you'd feel okay about playing. So I would agree with that. Even though I think Maryland would, would – well, that'd be intriguing if Angel Reese gets to go up against her former team. Yeah, no, that would uh, – that, that bracket's kind of got some intrigue, and, and you wonder, too, um, how much the NCAA takes some of those things into account right now. I don't, I don't know if you go, especially when you're projecting things out, but – We've seen in the men's bracket a couple of times where some former coaches were uh-huh. uniquely. Uh, they claim it doesn't matter. Yeah, but they, they seed one through they, sixty-eight. Yet they yeah. really they they kind of make uh, some changes where they see fit. Yeah, because I'm sure that they wouldn't sit there and go, "Hey, we could have LSU LSU and Maryland would have face off win if if they win out in that yeah. tournament. They would face off with. And in, I mean, I'll, in the uh, that Sweet would be 16? in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great Switch 16 matchup featuring LSU versus Maryland with Angel Reese going up against her former team. That's, yeah, that's something you could sell. But, you know, for instance, though, when I'm saying about this regional, now again, there's very little chance that this publication has it exactly Correct. right. ESPN, you know, they, they're good, but they're not great as far as projecting things out. No one can be perfect. Uh, but you like their region a whole lot better than Seattle, or, well, they're all Seattle. Why do they do it like this? Uh, anyway, I'll have to talk to somebody. 
says he's going to have to talk to somebody. <laughs> but anyway, the, the regional across from them would have Stanford and Iowa as the one and two seeds. I think you'd Ugh. much rather go through Virginia Tech and Maryland than Stanford I and want, Iowa. I want none of that. I want none of that. All right, what about the men? Any movement for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Bob Marlin's team? We know they won the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. We expect them to be a 14 or a 13 with the conference tournaments moving right along. Has there been any change nope. in the projections for where UL is going to go? So not not any change at all, actually. Um, and basically what you're seeing is, I kind of broke this down on Foot Show yesterday. There's five conferences that you're watching out for right now. Okay. And that would be the Atlantic 10 Conference. You need someone other than VCU or Dayton to win that conference. I have VCU and Dayton both won yesterday. They're mo- both in the semifinals, I believe. So you're not looking great there because there's a two out of the four teams left that you don't want to win the conference. Toledo in the MAC, you want them or Kent State both to not win the conference. Uh, they both won as well and have moved on. Yale in the Ivy League, that's kind of the one that's that's maybe the most realistic because Yale's a very good team, but you know the the Ivy League has shown some uh, had some surprise winners in the past. So if somebody beats Yale, you'll move up a line. Iona in the MAAC, coached by Rick Pitino. Again, I don't really know if anyone in that conference is going to challenge them, although they were tested a little bit yesterday. They moved on as well. And then in the WAC, you need someone other than Utah Valley and Sam Houston State. Utah Valley is a program I randomly picked like six or seven years ago to follow and like, so I actually know a lot about this Utah Valley team, and they're loaded. Um, they lost Fardaz, Fardaz AMAC, maybe the best group of five transfer last year, went to Texas Tech, and they actually got a lot better. Former Los Angeles Laker Mark Madsen coaches the Wolverine squad. So oh, nice. Anybody other than Utah Valley or Sam Houston State in the WAC. So those five, but all of those teams so far have played well in their conference tournaments and look like they're kind of on their way. So who's the other one in the A-10 besides VCU? Dayton. Okay, so they don't play until Saturday. Right. So we got if you're a Cajun fan, you need to be rooting for St. Louis to beat VCU in one semifinal matchup or have Fordham beat Dayton in the other semifinal matchup. Fordham is the one that is maybe your best chance. They have a pretty good record, but their net ranking and kind of some of the metrics don't like them as much, which means that you'd be very confident that if they won the conference tournament, UL would be above them. And you feel like maybe they have a shot in that matchup. So they might, you know, that's that's one I think, pay attention to Fordham. And if they can get a, get the job done, now again, they'd still have to win that semifinal and that final for it to matter. But And we're things, rooting in the MAC. you're rooting for Ohio to beat Toledo yep. in one semifinal today. And the other matchup is Akron versus Kent State. For sure. Shout out to the Bobbies. My boy Kelly graduated from there. Big time Ohio guy. This man's got guys across. He's got people in the MAC. Oh, man. Big time. Also came to me with, you know, that's I met him at Florida State. So Seminole tie there. Oh, this man's got Seminole ties. Seminole ties. So keep an eye out on these other tournaments. But what do you think is going to happen? You think UL's probably locked in as a 14. For now, I'm feeling a lot worse about it than I did a few days ago. Yeah, I'm thinking 14. Now, the thing is, too, that there's a chance Iona is the team that some people are saying UL could be a 13 over them. Um, I don't see it, though. I think with Iona's record and some of they played a couple of nice non-conference games there that's going to help them out. So I think Iona's above them. So for now, I'm thinking 14. But again, you do only need that one result to take place in those five conference tournaments. So... The other thing to keep in mind, and, and we had a conversation with a caller about this on, on Foot Show yesterday, is that Furman technically has a one-spot advantage in the RPI over UL, who is projected to be the 14 seed behind them. Furman is currently 88 in the, in, in the net, and UL is 90, 89. So 
They could technically, but again, most people have you all ahead of Furman right now, and I think the strength of the Sun Belt would kind of help you through there, but they that's another issue. If maybe one of these results happen, they somehow still could end up a 14 if, if the committee thinks otherwise. Yeah, Iona has to play Niagara, which is 16 and 14, and then they'll get the winner in the championship game of Maris or St. Peter's. Both are at least three games under 500. So Ricky's path to a conference tournament championship is pretty... Is, We've seen St. Peter's pull off magic uh, pretty well, recently have, here, but so maybe they'll do something. I'm, I'm not that confident, though. <laughs> but you never do know. It is March, and anything goes. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. Do you think Matt McMahon can turn around the LSU men's basketball team? They were eliminated in the second round of the SEC tournament last night by Vanderbilt. Right now, 41% of you say yes. 38% say no. 21% of you are not sure yet. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. It's it's going to take longer than anticipated. I just want LSU fan to understand that. It's going to take longer than anticipated. I think the rightful goal for next year is be around 500 in SEC play and have an overall winning record. I think that's a step uh, a progression for this program. Yeah, I'm going to change the subject real quick. I know I was pretty pretty bad in that last segment. I'm going to have my thoughts more well-organized for you guys on Monday, so I apologize for that. <laughs> but I do want to say, I have a new, uh, just looking at it one more time here, Yale is the one I'm looking at. Yale has to play potentially a really good Princeton team in the championship game, and they also have to play a pretty good Cornell team. Uh, is it Cornell? I believe it is coming up. Yeah, so they're going to play Cornell in the semis. At 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, if you're up early, somewhat early, um, that's a chance for them to lose. And then also Princeton, anyone in that conference who wins other than Yale, the Cajuns would be in front of. So that's my new, uh, that's the one to dial in on, Ivy League. Go ahead. That's right. Got to root for uh, Andy's team from the office, Cornell. Make that happen. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on the clock on this Friday, March the 10th edition of RP3 and Company. We are, of course, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Hour number one, man, it was all about basketball, right? LSU men have their season come to an end as they were eliminated by Vanderbilt in the second round of the SEC men's tournament there inside the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville last night. We talked a little bit about where do they go from here, And does everyone need to change their expectations 
if you will, on how long it's going to take Matt McMahon to turn things around. That is actually our poll question of the day. Do you believe he can turn it around? Yes, no, or you're not sure yet. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We also looked ahead to Selection Sunday. Where will the Louisiana Raging Cajun men fall? Looks like they're kind of locked into a 14 seed, but they could sneak up to a 13. The LSU women. ESPN says they're a three seed now, even though they only have two losses. We looked at that as well. Coming up this hour, well, we got plenty more to get to. Plenty more to get to. We'll take your phone calls later on. You know that. We love to hear from you. Game hotline's always open, 337-706-0111. We're also going to talk LSU football reporting for spring practice here from Brian Kelly. Oh, yeah, that's going to be happening as well. And maybe a little college baseball. But right now it's time for us to talk all things Houston Astros and World Baseball Classic with a man who is the co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast. He's a contributor to the Houston Chronicle. He's also guided the Waco High Lady Lions girls soccer team to their first playoff appearance since 2017. James Yasko joins us now here on the show. James, good morning and congratulations, brother. How are you? I'm I'm very well, thank you. Also, it's it, I'm reminded by your little intro that uh, this is the time of year that I I have watched like 45 seconds of college basketball, and I'm still gonna fill out a bracket and I'm gonna pick like Belmont to go to the Elite Eight, and I'm gonna be absolutely furious when I throw my bracket away by two o'clock on Thursday afternoon. <laughs> uh, it's like you and many others, so not, don't feel bad. It's a pretty common occurrence there when it comes to the brackets. <laughs> All right, let's start off with the news. You know, we kept asking about this, about is Yuli Gurriel going to be coming back in some sort of capacity as a platoon player, as a guy coming off the bench, and that is now a done deal because he's not coming back. He has signed a minor league deal with the Miami Marlins. Does that Obviously, that puts to an end his tenure with the Strohs. What do you make of his time with the Strohs? How are you going to remember Yuli's time in Houston? Well, I mean, it's with two World Series championships. Um, you know, it was I, – I very distinctly remember uh, when when the Astros signed him because I was I was on I – was, I was with my wife on our anniversary trip, and I was like, of course the Astros did this because I, I, I had the blog at that point, and I'm like, I, I really got to – I've really got to take like an hour and and write about this because and, and on my anniversary like that's very disrespectful to me personally um no but i mean i remember you know when he signed you know sort of the the phrase that was that was kicked around was that guriel was a unicorn you know the the that he just hit and hit and hit and hit um you know he had he the number of postseason moments that the guriel had you know, are, are going to live on in Astros fans' memories for a, for a really long time. I'm really surprised that the the fact that he signed a minor league deal with the Marlins, you know, kind of indicates to me that the Astros didn't even try to bring him back. So whether there were questions about, you know, was he getting towards the tail end of his sort of, um, you know, was were the, the 240 average, you know, is, the, is that more the expectation and not just a fluke anymore? Um kind of shows that the Astros didn't really have any interest in bringing him back and that's a that's a little bit surprising to me but I mean 
you know, Guriel's going to be remembered. He's going to be remembered for some negative things. Um, but but he's going he's he's going to go down as you know, dude's got two rings and and was a major contributor to to that happening for Astros fans. But it's also one less piece from the 2017 team, right? Which this happens. You can't keep the band together forever. That's how it works. Now you still have Breggs, you still have Altuve, but you know, no Verlander, no Carlos Correa, no Yuli. Now, uh, no you Springer. know, yeah, no, no, no Springer Dinger. So, a, a lot of those guys that helped lay the foundation for the great run and broke through with the World Series championship in 2017 are just no longer on the roster, and it's only 2023. But this is professional sports. You can't keep everyone. You just can't. Yeah, and it's you know some of these you know the and and the Astros have have been in the top half of payroll since 2017, uh, if not top five. You know, there it's it's not a they're just going to let guys walk, um, and just because they cost too much money. Like Jim Crane has shown that he is he is willing to spend and and has has proven that. Uh, and that's what he had promised, you know, in the first few years that when it was time to spend, he will spend. And he did. Um, but I think there there are more calculated uh, they're more calculated in how they spend that money, you know, not giving 80 million dollars to Justin Verlander for two years, um, you know, signing Correa to a 300 million dollar extension like that's not going to be on the table. Um, you know, the, the next question is, what do you do with Kyle Tucker? You know, do you do you extend him or, or are we going to watch the Astros let him walk? Uh, that's that's the next sort of big financial question. Well, that leads me here. actually to my next question. Should they extend Kyle Tucker? I think so, because it's not my money. Um, and <laughs> you know, I would I would put Tucker in the top in a, a sort of top 10 outfielders in in baseball and he's still young and you know he's he's proven that he can hit um you know he had more home runs in in one game than than Craig Biggio in one postseason game than Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell had uh in their entire postseason career you know the 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 guy can hit he's a great defender again he's young yes he's gonna cost a lot of money but that's the that's the price of doing business in baseball today and he did a nice job of eventually getting around to replacing Springer, right? I mean, it, right. yeah. And, you know, yes, the Astros are, you know, they everything has, has worked out so far, you know, it's not like um, the Astros have had a gaping hole, you know, with, with Correa so far uh, with letting Springer go, you know, we'll see what happens letting Verlander go, but it, it you know, they, they did this with Garrett Cole, uh, you know, they've, they've done this and they've been able to plug the, kind of plug that hole can they do that again you know that's that's sort of and again the astros have a pretty good track record of of these you know major financial decisions kind of working out to this point but um you know is, are they leaning on drew gilbert you know to come in and and take kyle tucker's spot that's that's the question and i don't envy dana brown for for having to make that decision because tucker's you know he's pretty pretty big fan favorite at this point He's become one, right? Uh, a little slow at first, but he's become one. Let's stay in the outfield. What are they going to do at center field? I th I think they're going to let Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick, you know, have a steel cage match. You know, they're going to tie their wrists together and give each one of them a switchblade, and whoever gets out of the cage alive is the starting center fielder. How is it not McCormick's, especially after he performed in the postseason? 
I, I I think it is. I think McCormick has has the edge. Um, it, but the, there's just something, and and it's it's maybe with Dana Brown, <clears throat> it's it's different. But James Click sort of hitched his wagon to Jake Myers, um, and and ultimately that was one factor in in him not being renewed after winning a World Series. Um, and so I think it's McCormick, but I think that if McCormick struggles, then you could you could maybe see a move at the deadline uh, to shore up center field. I don't think. You know, it's it's sort of the Astros are in this enviable position. And yes, the Rangers have gotten a little bit better and Oakland exists. Seattle's uh, good. The the Angels are it's Tungsten Armo Doyle and and you know, all all that. Tungsten um, Armo the, the Astros don't they're not at the way that it looks right now, and it's it's been a few years since it's ha- since it's happened. But they're not going to be challenged in this division, so it's it's getting. I'll oh, take that, Seattle through. Mariners. Take that to the only team that really pushed them in the postseason. Oh, that's James Yasko says that. you don't have a chance. Someone someone asked me what do I think about the Mariners, and I said I don't, uh, and I I just I just proved that like that, that I wasn't. You kidding. completely I totally, forgot about the Mariners. Totally forgot about the Mariners. Um, hey, it's spring break. Like I, I I'm, I'm struggling. Um, they don't the. There's not a huge challenge in the division, and and again, it may shake out that the Seattle once again becomes the May AL West champions, uh, and and they take it to the Astros. But no one's shown that they can hang with the Astros for 162 games, uh, and so until that happens, I think you're more than willing to let Chas McCormick, uh, you know, have have another few hundred at bats and and play center field and and let him hold it down. And if he doesn't get it done, then you. You, you adjust at the trade deadline and, and get ready for the postseason. We're talking with James Yasko. He's the co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast. Not to be confused with the Lima Time 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 Lima podcast, which is a very, very tough competitor for all those all Astros listeners. Lima, Ohio, we can't compete. We can't compete with that. <laughs> he's also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, and he's also the head coach of the Waco High Lady Lions girls soccer team who's making it to the playoffs for the first time since 2017. I want to talk World Baseball Classic because why not? So (laughs) I struggle with the World Baseball Classic because the times that the games are on, right? Mm -hmm. I host a morning show. I'm covering other sports. It usually slips my mind. And I know a lot of people are into it and they love it. I have not gotten to the point of loving the World Baseball Classic. It's it's not appointment watching for me to pay attention to other countries struggling my lead to try to play baseball. But <laughs> it's a thing, and a lot of players are involved in it, and there seems to be some buzz about it this year. Give me your sales pitch here on the World Baseball Classic. Ooh. I mean, who it's 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 more meaningful than spring training games. So that's that's cool. Um, there's the pride in representing your country, or at least a country that you are tangentially related to. So there so it is, that's, like that's the cool. Olympics. Yes, an, yes, yes. If, if you're an insomniac, there's baseball on. Uh, if you if you can't sleep, not that it's going to put you to sleep, but it's it's something it's something else that that it's better than infomercials. Um, I think it's cool. I I don't, I I haven't watched it because like baseball season's coming up. Um. We're still in soccer season, so I'm certainly not awake when when the games are on in the middle of the night. Um, They're also on right now, James. So in case you were wondering, bud, Italy and Chinese tap, they are in a battle. Italy's up six to five in the top of the fifth. 
believe it's Taipei. Just wanted to throw that. <laughs> Chinese Taipei. Chinese Taipei. Thank you, Dawson. Remind me to take you in the hallway and punch you later. Um, <laughs> take a map. <laughs> they're to battle in the top of the fifth. And then, and you know, Bud, Japan, as expected, is all over Korea, 11 to 4 in the bottom of the seventh. Still up today, Panama and Italy. Woo! Let's get it. Getting excited about that one. And then China and Australia will battle it out as well. See, so so I've I have to maintain some like sports goodwill with the wife uh that I, I can't be dominating the TV watching watching yes Italy and Australia. So so I've gotta because you know I yes. mean, there's 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 not just high school soccer, but there's you know the Premier League and then and then baseball season's coming up and March Madness. Thank you. Waste, That's my point. My wife is goodwill. like, How long's the major league baseball regular season? I go, it's 162 games. She goes, So timeout. You're going to want to watch as many games as possible of that. And then there's the playoffs on top of that. I go, yes, dear. And then she goes, and now you want to watch something that's not part of the Major League Baseball season that's going to take up a couple of weeks. So now we're going to be dedicating more time for more baseball. And that's that's not an easy sale in the Parch household. I'm just going to throw no. it out there. That is not an easy no. sale. I'm 100% right there with you. So, so by God, we're going to be watching murder murder documentaries uh, and and not the World Baseball Classic. But Netflix if, documentaries, if, here we come. If you're not, if, if if you are not beholden to having to maintain goodwill, it, sure, it's cool. Baseball that that means something. Dawson's very excited, James. If you case you didn't know, Chinese tap. Say it again for me. Say it again for for a second. Chinese Taipei. Top hey, they're going to be taking on the Netherlands. So those, you know, those Dutch. Why do you not like fun things, RP3? The World <laughs> Baseball Classic is all the fun. The Netherlands team is loaded. They have a ton of guys from Curacao because that's a, I guess, territory of the Netherlands. That team go. is absolutely loaded. Territory is a nice way of saying used to be a, a slave country for them. Um, but yeah, but we extracted we extracted all of the natural resources <laughs> from that place for our own personal. <laughs> that's, that's 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 basically what. What about? Czech Republic versus Japan tomorrow, Saturday. Is that is that going to be something that you're going to be gearing up for, Dawson? It's going to be on FS1 at 4 a.m. That one I probably won't catch. But, oh, hey, see, I again. Th- I, as, I thought you were dedicated as to the World Baseball Classic. As this moves into the later stages, they're going to start mostly being played in time zones that you care about. So, see, I, I, just I stay can, tuned. I can, get, I can get excited about Colombia versus Mexico at 1.30 tomorrow. Listen, the U.S. are renewing their biggest rivalry of all time with Great Britain on Saturday night. You're not fired up for that? Do the Brits even know how to play baseball? The, look, they have a few guys. Still mad about the, they're still mad about the Battle of New Orleans and, and the War of 1812. Like That, that, that rivalry goes back. Those two years. do not like each other. <laughs> Outstate. Throw out the record books when the U.S. and Great Britain play baseball. I just imagine British folks just looking at a baseball mitt going, what is that? What are you doing? Is this some sort of cricket? What is this? What are you playing? Get out of here with this nonsense. I'll watch a little bit of World. I'll watch the World Baseball Classic every time, okay? I'm just having a little fun here. And Dawson got very fired up about He's very passionate about the World Baseball Classic. I'm bringing that heat at 720 on a Friday morning. Like I love it. He is, he's bringing heat constantly with me. There you go, bud. You got another World Baseball Classic guy on your side. 
No, look, I mean, I the funny thing is I'd honestly much rather watch the World Baseball Classic than about 60% of the MLB regular season, but I know I'm different than a lot of hardcore oh, MLB fans. I should have done a background check on you. That uh-huh. is that is a hot take. <laughs> that is a hot take. James, enjoy your weekend, but when's the playoff game? March 23rd. We have one more game in the regular season against our crosstown rival, and uh, and then, and then we're going to go to <clears throat> playoffs the following week. I want you to give a message to those young girls. I want you to tell them that they should need to go out there and crush the other team's faces. Put their foot on their neck and just apply pressure. That's what I want you to tell them. I will tell them that that they are the official team of, of Lafayette, Louisiana. <laughs> Bud, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Have a good one. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Shout out to you for helping me with the how to properly pronounce these countries. Also, shout out to our guy, Aaron. He gave me a little helpful uh, tip here. He texted it to me because he was, you know, he, he threw me a lifeline. He said, my guy RP3 is struggling. He just typed it out for me. T-Y hyphen pay. Boom. Taipei. It's Chinese Taipei. See? Light bulb went off for me. I just needed some help. You know, <laughs> here it comes. No, it's just it's just a bit of the disrespect for the powerhouse Little League baseball programs that Chinese Taipei's been pumping out for years. Full disclosure, I don't watch the Little League World Series. Here he goes. You know, the baseball games that matter are the ones when your country's pride is on the line. The World Baseball Classic, the Olympics, okay. to an extent. Uh, the Olymp- <laughs> That's the funny thing, too. I, I, I would much oh, rather... Oh, faux patriotism every four years? Okay, we can have a discussion about that if you'd it's like. It's not about patriotism. I mean, it can be, but it's also about I'm showing some, about some support for the, for, the, for the place you came from, the people who raised okay. you. All right. And the U.S. I mean, that's that's World Cup, man. I don't know a thing about soccer, but I'm going to watch every World Cup game. Okay, all right. Believe that. All right. Anyway, what does that have to do with the Little League World Series? I just don't. No, like, we were going. No, oh. I, yeah, I, I, it's okay. I was just messing with you. But I, I have friends that love that event, and I get it. And I think no, if, I love it too. If, I, if my kid was involved, I'd probably be more. Oh, you'd watch <laughs> if your kid was in the Little League World Series. You might watch a game here I, I and there. I may watch it. You know, I, I may. I may say, hey, that's something that I, uh, I can check out. I can. I can take care of. No, I. I don't know. Um, well, they had that that New Orleans team, especially. So I I, I loved it as a kid, especially because I wanted you know I wanted to be there. Now they didn't have little league at the time in New Orleans, so I played you know U Triple S A, whatever the league was at the time. But uh, 
when the New Orleans team made it and actually won the whole thing. They won the entire World Series championship two years ago. That was pretty cool. And we had some I watched friends that. of friends who were on that team and stuff. So. I, I did watch a little bit of that. So when, when there's some type of regional, uh, there was a team from Lafayette yeah, they, years they ago made that, a good run, yeah. that, that made a good run. So if there's a team that's from the region, sure, I'll tune in to kind of you know, su- support it. But it's not appointment watching. And for some people, they get more excited about that than they do anything else. Now... If you want to talk college World Series, I'm in. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've i said this, too, and, you know, I, I heard it, too, um, recently. I've heard some people talk about it. The best sports, you know, tournaments, there's always a conversation when March Madness comes up. A lot of people say it's the best postseason ever. I would agree with what I heard recently, which is that the first four days, two to four days of March Madness, I think, are the best weekend Yes. One of the best weekends in sports. I will say the entire tournament for me. Now, I will watch it all, and I will be locked in for the most part. But I think the first two days are immensely better than the Final Four, in my opinion. And I know a lot of people don't agree. Obviously, the Kansas-Duke championship game would get the best ratings of any game in the tournament. But I love the first two days. Just the madness. The fact that you have you can't even keep enough screens on to see all the games. I just love that aspect. It's wildly it. entertaining. The, the first couple days, it is exciting. That first weekend, the first two rounds are immensely exciting because you always have great stories. You always have the upsets, the the five twelve upsets, or you have someone like Florida Gulf Coast come through, or Davidson when Curry was uh, playing for them. So you always have one of those teams that gets through, which makes it fun. I will say this. Last year, I went to the Final Four for the first time ever. I didn't go to the championship game. I just went to the the final four, the Saturday. And even being up in the up in the Superdome press box. So like I didn't get to be on the floor with everyone else. Like I was spillover. It was like you and janitorial staff, you get to be up here. But it was still cool to watch Villanova, Kansas and Coach K's last game. To be there in person to watch Coach K's last game against North Carolina of of all of all teams, and then meeting in the Final Four for the first time. So, but I agree, as cool as the Final Four is, and I enjoy it, and I watch it all the time. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is just ridiculous, right? It's just bonkers, and I love. I'm, you watch every game, you obsess about every game because you're worried about your bracket, but then also you're oh, who's going on here? You're flipping the channel. Okay, well let's go to over here and the 18 different channels it's on like true tv and you know all the other ones that you have to find the 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 games on oh yeah i'm all about that no and and look i hope i hope none of my high school teachers are are, are listening here but we used to watch i mean the first day happened but, we were in worry, class it's chinese taipei and you were struggling with it earlier yeah no chinese Ta- think taipei yeah, no, my the geography doesn't have any any questions so far today but anyway, I mean, I remember watching the games in class, like having those first few games on, and then you finally get out of school and you just, just go home and watch basketball all day. But I would feel the same way, and I know a lot of people probably wouldn't agree, about the first day of college, the first and second day of college baseball regional tournaments. I like that even more than maybe the first or two, second day of the College World Series, unless I have a team in the World Series that I care about. Those first days of regionals, again, you've got teams all over the place. Everybody's throwing a Friday night ace, so you get a couple of huge upsets with the four seed over the one seed. I, I that's I love the I'll take the mass number of of great postseason games going on at one time over the mark. You like to of. be you like to be brought to the brink of being overwhelmed by all. Yes, the because and okay. I tell you that I right. love I'm a I'm a multiple TV screen guy and I have been for a long time. 
I love the the idea of having six t- TVs set up. See, that's the other thing too. That'll never. You talk about who's got the control of the TV. That'll never be an issue for me because there will be ten to seventy two TV screens in my house. But go ahead, lock it in. Okay, you love the multiple screens. Make sure one of them is on FS two five a.m. Okay, okay, five a.m. on Saturday. That's tomorrow. Netherlands versus Chinese Taipei. That's going to be at five a.m. Set your alarm, and then Bud. I want you to stay up all day because following up on FS2 that night at 10 o'clock, Chinese Taipei versus Cuba. So go ahead and lock that in. Bud. So, yeah, I need to try and find out if my TV has a setting that can just it can just turn on and maybe that'll be my alarm. I'll be that game <laughs> going on. It just flashes at you with sports. Yes. But stat of the day, you don't get these types of stats just anywhere, only here on RP3 and Company. Chinese Taipei, all-time leader in Asia-Pacific championships in the League World Series. They've got nine. Second is Japan and South Korea tied with five, and Guam, all tied with five. But how about nine Asia-Pacific championships for Chinese Taipei? Oh, shout-out to Chinese Taipei. They're still looking for that elusive first Little League World Series championship. And actually, I wonder, is the Asia-Pacific region, has that been changed now? Because, I don't know. Japan's got five Asia-Pacific championships, but they've got six Little League World Series championships. So somehow along the line, they've won more times the whole tournament. So I'm assuming there's a little bit of a region change at some point in the history. But still, we'll you get can't the take that record it. away from them. We'll get the intern on it. Yeah, that's, we'll do go. that. we got to take a timeout. <laughs> when we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day. We'll take your phone calls as well. Game hotline's open. We want to hear from you. We're having a fun Friday edition of the show here. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll also hear from Brian Kelly as spring football starts for the LSU Tigers. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I think, you know, we always put the, you know, the, the blinders on regardless of what's going on and, and focus on what's important. And, and as I kind of alluded to in, in my opening remarks, what's important is really important for this football team in year two um, as, as we go back into uh, the development of how do we become more consistent. It's everything that I just talked about. So... As important of all the things that we had to do last year, this is equally as important. It's just what's more important this year um, is a little bit different than last year. So it's just a different chapter that we're moving through in the development of the football program. Um, But uh, I think we just kind of, you know, have tunnel vision and know that this is what's really crucial and important to us now. Brian Kelly. LSU head football coach entering his second season at the helm of the Tigers, and they're gearing up. They began spring football yesterday. They're in a great position. Last year, no one expected them to do anything. Nothing. People had serious doubts if he could win at LSU, and 
they had some rough spots in particular on offense, right? They looked a little clunky throughout the season, especially early. But in his first season at the helm, he beat Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, slayed Alabama in dramatic fashion because he had the cojones to go for it. Won 10 games, won the SEC West, won a bowl game. That's a pretty good first year, especially taking over the program that was, let's be honest, in disarray following the departure of Ed Orgeron. Now you can build off of that, and they have some really nice pieces, right? Harold Perkins Jr. is an absolute bad, bad, bad man. That kid can just flat out play. But they're going to replace some guys going to the draft, in particular across the defensive line. They had some guys enter the transfer portal. So, look, it's the same sort of challenges, but unlike last spring, when he took over a program and that barely had enough scholarship players to even put together a bowl game roster and had to start a wide receiver at quarterback, he's in far better shape now. And they can approach things and really push. And one of the things that's going to be interesting for me is what's going to happen with the running back room. You had one guy declare for the draft. You have some other guys that are a little banged up, right? We've gotten reports about that, that they're going to be banged up for spring football. And Kelly spoke about the issues involving the Tigers running back room as they begin spring practice. Yeah, they're working through uh, the injuries that they suffered. Um, you know, they're out there at practice. Uh, they've been great uh, in terms of their rehab. And, uh, you know, certainly um, Josh is the closest in terms of being able to come back and, um, you know, do some more drill work in the spring. Armani will not be back until camp. Um, and, you know, certainly uh, Trey Hawley's going to get a lot of work, and he did today. Matter of fact, he grabbed me in the hallway. And, you know, and, and typically as a freshman, you can imagine there were some some errors and he was he was looking for coach wilson and you know wanted to apologize i was like just keep showing up <laughs> just show up every day you're going to be fine and uh he's got a great motor he's got a great attitude he's got all the things that you want it's just the first day and he's swimming i love that by the way i love trey holly being a freshman searching out coaching on the first day of spring football and I love Kelly's response to that, Dawson. His response is, kid, you're good. It's so much easier for Brian Kelly when you have someone like Trey Holly, the former Union Parish High star running back. A little undersized, but that kid is a monster. I've seen him live in person. He's going to be a good one for LSU. But when you have a freshman that's enrolled early, right, graduates early, enrolls early to be on campus, and he has a couple of mistakes the first day of spring ball, and he goes searching for coaches to apologize and to get additional coaching. If you're Brian Kelly, half your job is already done because the kid is self-motivated. The kid is a grinder. The kid wants to earn his keep. You get more and more of those guys, Dawson, on this team, sky's the limit because we know – the players that you're recruiting at LSU are talented. But you guys are that way. And I love Kelly's response. 
Just keep showing up, kid. You're good. Just keep showing up. I love that. I just love that. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of all you can ask for for somebody, like you mentioned, coming in that early in the process because um, you, you've got time. That's the beauty of that. You know, if a fifth-year senior is making mistakes, you know, not right. to say – not to say they're not going to be a part of anything anymore, but, you know, their time might be running out to make a big impact on a team. A guy who's just been in the building a couple of months who's making mistakes, that's that's perfectly fine, and that's what's going to make them better. So uh, the accountability and, you know, I think, look, that's Brian Kelly teams have, have never had an issue on being really, really good and really competitive in whatever conference division, you know, segment of college football they've been in. And he did it at Cincinnati, and, you know, uh, Cincinnati was in, you know, at the time, what, the Big East? which was a bit of a unique football conference at the time. There was some transition going on, and then he transitioned, and he did it everywhere else he went. And, of course, most recently at Notre Dame, he had them winning 10, 11 games a year. Um, I think it's funny. People kind of always said, well, it's you know Notre Dame doesn't play a schedule, this and that. I mean, look, Notre Dame is a, is a team that is synonymous with college football, and, and winning there is not as simple as showing up, and Brian Kelly did it there. So, no, I'm not surprised with the early success he's had here at LSU and uh, or, or there at LSU. And so – He's going to now have a chance. I think last year you kind of mentioned a little bit of overachievement. Now the thing that's tough is achieving what you achieved last year, winning the number of games you did and the things like that is not going to happen, is not a given coming into every year. Because every Correct. year in the SEC, you know, there's not it's not many programs in the SEC that stay down for too long. Shout out Vanderbilt. They've been able to do it for a while, but... Most of those other teams, right, are going to be coming back up. The ones that had down years and the ones that are up at the top try to stay there. So you have to – it's that new battle you're fighting every year. Whereas at Notre Dame, with some of the unique scheduling things where being an independent, uh, they've had years where they've had pretty soft schedules. That's not going to be the case at all. But as Brian Kelly, he's, he's even kind of reiterated in recent days, he came here to play in the SEC and play the best opponents week in and week out. So that's, that's what he's here for. And the, the big thing – for them, and he preached this yesterday in the in the press conference is, and and, and I love this as well. And, and look, Kelly's a good coach. Just because he doesn't have a national championship at this level, doesn't mean that he's not a good coach. By the way, he won at the lower level. By the way, when he's at Grand Valley State, is this right here? The springtime is not necessarily about working all the things out with X's and O's. Or, you know, who's going to be your wide receiver number one? Or who's going to be your running back number two? It's it's really about getting the kids to buy into what the mindset needs to be heading into fall camp. Because if you can get them to fully buy in, when they come back for fall camp, you can hit the ground running. And then that leads right into the season. That's what spring football is really about. Yeah, and, and not even just the mindset going into fall camp, but also the mindset going into the summer workout period because that's a – Correct. You know, in football, maybe more so than any other sport, you know, you, look, you can be the most technically sound player, you know, in your position. If you don't have the strength and speed to compete in the SEC, you're going to get beat, right? So yep. you have to kind of build that mindset, kind of build – and I think it's it's a time for the team chemistry to start building, which I think some people value less than others. I value it a lot. I value it a lot. I think As what, someone, what have we I've, seen with Coach Marlin's basketball team, I've right? spent 25 years covering sports. When I tell you that team chemistry matters, it matters. And I've, I, I've seen it at high school, junior college, college, 1AA, 1A, in the NFL. Team chemistry matters. It just does. We try to be like, oh, it does matter. That's just, no, 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 it does. It does. Because if you have a team that 
they look at each other and they go, that's my brother and I got their back, half the battle's done right there. Right, and, and, and these, you know, it's kind of a cliche when coaches talk about, you, see, you hear it around bowl season or, you know, around playoff time in other sports, this is the last chance you're ever going to have with this group. But it's really true. Every single team, even if you bring back most of your starters or whatever number of players you bring back, it's a new it's a new team every year. There's t- especially in college football. There's tons of turnover. So this spring period is the first time that this group is going to be together, and this group has a chance to build something. And yeah, it's not going to be the exact same roster that is in the fall because of the way we live, the era we live in with the transfer portal. But it's about building something heading into the summer, and then of course that translates to the fall, and then you start playing football games. We'll keep an eye out, and we'll have more about LSU spring football as we continue on, not only on today's show, but in the weeks to come here on RP3 and Company. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update that poll question of the day for you about Matt McMahon and can he turn things around at LSU with the men's basketball program. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Don't! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Do you think Matt McMahon can turn around the LSU men's basketball team? Right now, 44% say yes. 31% say no. 25% of you, though, say not sure yet. B-Rad on Twitter says, not sure yet. I've wondered at times this season after watching games if coaching was the problem. I've seen little dribblers teams look more fundamentally sound than LSU did. Seeing them blow that three-on-one fast break opportunity last night made me wonder about the coaching again. Doug on Twitter says, LSU basketball has been below average for the last couple years and there's no easy fix. Not that I really care for basketball, but I'm just an LSU fan. And Ralph says, nice guy and the LSU fan in me wants him to, but the Mad Dog fan in me would miss the content on Wednesdays. I'm so conflicted. Jackie Moon for player coach. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your thoughts, your comments, if you will, on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show. You just got to give him time. You know he can... Spot talent, K.J. Williams was his guy from the previous job. And he developed him, and he was an all-SEC player this year. You just need more of those K.J. Williams. Can he do that? That's the big question mark. Can he get, like, two or three more of those guys? Because if he does that, they can be a winning program and a 500 team in the SEC next year. But can he do that? That's the big question mark. Keep those votes coming, though. Keep those comments coming as well. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, what we got on tap? Bill Bender joins us at 8.30 to talk college basketball. But we'll kick things off with Jacques Doucet talking all things LSU, maybe even little Saints. That's next right here on The Game. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on the clock on this Friday, March the tenth edition of RP Three and Company, which means our final hour of today's show and of the week has arrived. Coming up half an hour from right now, Bill Bender will be joining us from the Sporting News, talking conference tournaments in the NCAA tournaments selection show coming up on Sunday. But right now, it's time for us to talk to someone. You know, look, rule of thumb. I was taught years ago, Dawson. You're a newbie around here, a rook, if you will. I was always taught when you want to sound smarter, always bring somebody on the air that is smarter than you are. That's a good rule of thumb to have when you host a show. And that's why we have our next guest, because he's going to make me sound so much better. He's two-time Louisiana sportscaster of the year, two-time Emmy Award winner, and more importantly, he's also the founder of the Red Rock and Blue which is a great charity event that's held every summer. It's our old friend from WAFB Sports, Jacques Doucet, joins us. Jacques, good morning to you, brother. It's been too long, my friend. How are you? Raymond, I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you for that very awesome uh, intro. Hopefully I can live up to it. My, my teacher's back at North Vermillion High School or Milton Elementary there in uh, Lafayette area may not agree with the intelligent aspect, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure uh, my former teachers would would well, would uh, would be saying the same thing about me, brother. All right, uh, our poll question of the day is about Matt McMahon, and it's a rough first year at LSU. I I think he did the best he could with the roster that he had. He needs to get probably two or three more KJ William types players. And I think he can start turning this thing around. Do you believe that he can do that given time, that he can turn LSU basketball around? Man, that's a tough question. Um, Certainly, I look at the way they played uh, earlier in the year. There were warning signs that it was going to be a rough year. We certainly knew that the second they let Will Wade go and, and the players just left the roster left and right, and then he rebuilt the roster to an extent where we thought, well, maybe this might be an NIT team or you know, maybe win five to seven conference games, and the team seemed to regress as the year went. Um, you had a 19-point lead at home against Missouri that you blew it and you lost. So those are some things that you look at and you kind of wonder, okay, is what, how much of the coaching played into this and is – Going from Murray State to LSU, is the coach um, perhaps in over his head? Uh, Some people have asked that, but I think certainly with Scott Woodward making this hire, um, he's going to get at least two to three more years to try to figure it out and and to try to get it going. And the one thing about Coach McMahon that I've always given him the benefit of the doubt on is that until the NCAA finally announces what – uh, the penalties are for the Will Wade FBI wiretap and all those things. It's kind of hard to start fresh and new and say, okay, here we go, when you've had this thing kind of looming over your head. So it'll be very interesting offseason in terms of who he brings to the roster. Uh, you know, you hear mixed things about the two that they have committed coming in, and 
You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great question to ask. Okay, you've got KJ Williams. He was the best player on the team. His eligibility is up. I mean, how many of the guys on the current roster do you want to have back uh, next year? And you know, and this has nothing to do with LSU, but then it does. And then if you've got Will Wade becoming the new head coach at McNeese State, which that's been the hot talk a lot this week, um, you know, what what kind of dynamic does that throw into the state of Louisiana basketball? So um, we, we certainly hope it's going to be a lot better. But, yeah, I, I would think that his success at Murray State, the guy knows basketball. He's a very good coach. Uh, he needs some time to to see, okay, can he do this or not? And we have seen what Scott's uh, hiring of Buzz Williams did at Texas A&M. It took a while, but we're starting to see how that's starting to pay off, even though I would argue Buzz inherited a far better situation than the one that Matt McMahon did. But I do agree with you. Scott Woodward is not going to do a knee-jerk thing here. He's going to give his coach the time needed to be able to turn this thing around. Let me ask you about the coach that they had to get rid of. Lots of Buzz. You mentioned it. Former LSU coach Will Wade going to be hired at McNeese. That rumor mill is ramped up. What do you make of that for Will, and what do you make of that for McNeese, Jacques? Well, certainly it would put more eyeballs on McNeese State than they've had since, I guess, Joe Dumars way back when. I mean, I know they've had some good teams here and there. I think Lake Charles is an interesting place. You're you're relatively close to Houston, You've got all those casinos there, and you've got some excitement there. I know, like, from a television market standpoint, it's like 170 or something like that. I think Lafayette is around 120 or something like that. So uh, the arena is uh, very nice, uh, you know, for a program of that size. And um, I, I think for sure that when Will Wade, if he does indeed become the head coach, he will bring players with him. He's never had a problem of getting talented players, and, I guess the question is, uh, what's the show cause on him? Um, I mean, does he just have to they hire him and then he's got to be suspended for an amount of games? You eat the sandwich and then you move on. Um, so I, I think that he'll bring a lot of electricity and excitement to that program. If he becomes the head coach, he certainly will bring a lot of media attention and people covering their games and, and things that are good. Um, I mean, I had heard things about how much they could be paying him. Uh, you know, could they, could McNeese be, be paying a basketball coach $1.2, $1.5 million? We'll see. Um, but certainly the old, the old Miss thing, uh, didn't, doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to happen, right? So, um, I, I think that that'd be very, very interesting. It, it'd be, it'd be humorous for Will Wade to be kind of seeing a lot of us again in the media if we go over there and cover a few games. <laughs> he, he would certainly recognize all of us. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, yes, there'd be some familiarity there for sure. Let's uh, go back to LSU. Let's go to the women. Uh, look, the non-conference schedule was what it was because Kim didn't know what she was going to have, and she ended up getting some players transferred in, and they've had a great season. They get upset by Tennessee in the semifinals, and for a team that appeared locked in to be a number two seed, I keep hearing things that they're going to drop down to the three line. I don't think it matters to Kim, uh, per se, because they'll still be at home for the first two rounds of the NCAA Women's Tournament. But what do you make of the LSU women and their chances to make a run in the NCAA Tournament? And do you think on Sunday they're going to be a two or a three seed, Jacques? Yeah, I think that she has fed the monster so quickly that the expectations for the program, the fan interest, all those things obviously have just 
soared upward. And it's an interesting team. Uh, the loss in the conference tournament, certainly when you're up by 17 points and you've got a chance to play South Carolina again and you blow it, uh, that was very disappointing. At the same time, I think Coach Mulkey has always kind of downplayed the importance of conference tournaments unless you're a team on the bubble and you got to make a run to get in or maybe – you know, you got a chance to bump up from a two to a one. I don't think she ever felt like um, the conference tournament was going to make them a one seed. Now, uh, why does LSU drop uh, in the AP poll from number four to number nine? Because they lose a two-point game in the semifinals of the conference tournament to a team that's now ranked in the top 20 in Tennessee. I mean, was that kind of overdoing it? The, the, her non-conference schedule is the thing that's hanging over their head. I mean, it's a it's th- it's in the three hundreds. Um, could there have been a happy medium between Houston Baptist and UConn in terms of uh, non-conference schedule? I don't know. I think certainly next year they will schedule much tougher in the non-conference with the number one recruiting class coming in and players like Angel Reese and Flash Johnson returning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of shocked when I saw not shocked, but then it kind of hit me in the face that. They're one and one against AP top 25 teams. I mean, they've only played two ranked teams uh, throughout the year. So um, there's going to be doubts. I think this team does make you nervous that if they don't show up, they could get, they could get bounced. But I, I think the over-under on this team is Elite Eight. I, I think uh, I think that they, if they can make it, I think they definitely have to make it out of Baton Rouge for this to be considered a successful season. And if they make it one more, one more game and make it to the Elite Eight, I think that's kind of the over-under on how far this team can go this year and the next year with South Carolina losing what they're losing, what LSU was gaining uh, in year three of Mulkey, you may be talking, you know, certainly a national championship, but I'm not going to write them off this year either. We're talking with Jacques Doucet of WAFB sports, two-time Louisiana sportscaster of the year and two-time Emmy award winner. He joins us here on RP3 and company. Spring football is always kind of a funny thing for Jacques, us of a certain age where it really wasn't all that important. Now we have to go to every practice and report on things, <laughs> right? It's it's changed because football, college football, has just kind of just overtaken everything when it comes to coverage. Uh, for you, what's the big thing that you're kind of looking for or just kind of keeping an eye on for Brian Kelly's team during spring football? Well, it's so much different this year. From a television perspective, when you go out there, you're looking to shoot video. And and last year, all the coaches, everything was new, right? So, okay, we need shots of the offensive coordinator. We we need shots of the defensive coordinator, all the assistants, uh, all the – this Jaden Daniels guy, who is he? I mean, you got all that stuff. I mean, so there's a lot of familiarity. But yet, once again, Coach Kelly has brought in a ton of new players. Uh, Certainly, you know, the defensive line, he's brought in a, a lot of new guys there. Uh, the quarterback perspective, a lot of new guys there. Uh, some things change, some things stay the same, uh, and that being John Emery, it's never simple with this guy. Once again, he's got some academic things he's got to take care of. And, and when he announced he was coming back, uh, I did have somebody within the program tell me that it wasn't all that cut and dry, that it was complicated. And so His whole um, career think, has been complicated, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's never A to B with John Emery. I mean, it's, there's always something. And it's disappointing because we saw last year, I think that was the most football he's ever played, and certainly he does some dynamic things that the other guys 
in that running back room can't do. But we'll see with Trey Holly and Caleb Jackson, the incoming freshman. Holly's already out there, and Coach Kelly said, yeah, and day one, man, he's apologizing because he's making mistakes. And they're like, man, you're, you were in high school just this past fall. Uh, relax, you're going to make mistakes, and you'll be okay. But um, And then uh, an, an offensive lineman, they're kind of uh, thin there at the moment, and, and there's, there's just a, almost a question about whether or not they can do a functioning spring game on April 22nd. Uh, you know, that's listed as their final day of spring, but – can they have a spring game, and how's that going to work? So I just think that um, it's all about uh, expectations. Uh, they're much higher this year. Last year, you know, there was talk of them winning six games. They win ten. They win the SEC West. They blow out Purdue in the bowl game. And now this year they're going to be the preseason pick by a lot of people to win the SEC West and to see if they can uh, do a, a better job against Georgia or whoever's in the SEC championship game this time around. So I just think – Everything, uh, you know, expectations are much higher. He's obviously proven he's worth the money so far and worth the hire. Um, his organization, uh, you know, I know a lot of people in Lafayette probably disappointed Walker Howard's no longer on the roster and at Ole Miss. But those kind of things happen, and they're doing their best to, uh, you know, move forward and, and put the best product on the field. Brother, before I let you go, I want to talk about Red Rock and Blue. Obviously, that's your annual softball tournament held uh, every July. It raises funds. It's a great charity. But you got something going on right now that's helping raise funds for the charity. Tell the folks about it and where they can get more information as well. Yeah, thanks, Raymond. Uh, RedRockandBlue.com is our website. Uh, we raise money every year for Louisiana military charities like Blue Star Moms of Louisiana, um, Wounded War Heroes. That's not the Wounded Warrior Project. It's uh, something different, local. And uh, so we're getting our sponsors. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor, I'm easy to find there on the website. Uh, please contact me today. We've got uh, multi-platinum artist Vertical Horizon. You may remember them for hitting number one on the charts with uh, the song Everything You Want and some other big hits, uh, You're a God and Best I Ever Had. They'll be playing the Varsity in August. Those tickets are on sale now. Uh, we've got a, a Caterie reunion concert, bands that used to play the Caterie in Baton Rouge before it uh, unfortunately burned. Uh, they'll be playing the Varsity Theater as well. We've got a, a, a country concert, and we're going to start uh, registration for our big softball tournament, which I know a lot of teams from Lafayette participate. It's a slow-pitch softball tournament. Anybody can enter a team, and that's going to be coming up soon. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we try to donate uh, anywhere between – Forty-five to fifty thousand dollars every year to charity, and uh, if you want to be a part, once again, RedRockAndBlue.com. Jacques, appreciate the time as always, brother. Thank you for it. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. All right, you too. Thank you, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Man, here in Acadiana and in Southwest Louisiana period, we love our heritage. We love the culture and, in particular, the Cajun culture. And there's a great event coming up that you need to know about that you should go check out. And, of course, it's Balfa Week. That's going to be held March 20th to the 26th at Lakeview Park there in Eunice. It's about music. It's about culture. There's dance lessons. There's nightly dances. There's education for the kids and the adults. And joining us now to talk all about it is Joseph Vedrine with Balfa Week. Joseph, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for making the time. Ray, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on the air to promote Balfa Week. Uh, the long name is Dewey Balfa Cajun and Creole Heritage Week. That kind of says a little bit about it. We um, promote the culture here in Louisiana. We try and make it uh, for everyone from all over the place. We have folks coming in from all over the United States and kind of all over the world. Canada, we've had people from France and Germany over the years. Uh, 20 years running uh, with a three-year hiatus. So we're actually bringing it back after our long little stretch that we all know why. And um, we're bringing it back to a new location this year at Lakeview Park in Eunice. Historically, we've had it at some of the state parks like Fuss Point and Chico State Park, but we're trying it out in a new place a little bit closer to the community that we reach here. So 55 minutes from Lafayette, right there in Eunice, uh, Lakeview Park, beautiful location for this year's camp. Joseph, you brought it up, having to take uh, some time off from having it in so many events, festivals, music or culture, it doesn't matter, had to do the same thing. Uh, when did you know that it was a right time for you guys to, to bring it back in? What's the reaction been by the community, not only the artists, the teachers, but just residents in general, knowing that it's finally coming back after a hiatus? So I guess like everybody, it's there's been a lot of unknowns with our our, our general uh our general schedule and calendar over the for events and and we knew a couple of months ago that um, well folk roots knew that they wanted to bring this event back uh, it's so important to a lot of people from all over uh, especially our local community here to come out to the dances and experience um, experience like Cajun and Creole culture in just a little bit of a different way where there are outsiders here that are here to learn it and absorb it all and sometimes we take it for granted you know we have these festivals every weekend trail rides and whatever it might be that that we see all the time but there's folks from all over the place that don't get to see it and they really cherish it so a mission of Louisiana Folk Roots and Balfa Week is to share that, of course, and it's a no-brainer when we had the opportunity to bring it back that we we wanted to. And uh, f- the response from the artists that are our staff this year, our all-star staff this year, was uh, we I couldn't hire enough people. You know, we just we just wanted I want everybody to be a part of it, but folks are excited about it. The word's getting out. Uh, folks from all over the United States are signing up. They're coming. So we want to invite our local folks to come out, too, for our nightly dances. You have opportunities the full week to come on and take classes. You could rent a spot at Lakeview Park and be around for the whole week. Um, you could come and camp in a tent if you want. Um, there's a la carte items on LAFolkRoots.org. You can register to be part of the whole week if you want to be, or you can pick and choose. You can come for a certain day. You can come for an afternoon. You can come for uh, dinner and a dance. Uh, You could purchase a ticket for that and get your dinner, a dance class with awesome dance teachers every night and come for our nightly dances as well with amazing bands. You know, Joseph, this event, Balfour Week, also is is one of these 
events that is so important because it keeps the tradition, it keeps the history alive, and you're trying to pass it down to a younger generation. I know my in-laws are originally from St. Landry Parish, Arneville, and Cecilia area, so they love Cajun dancing, and they love Cajun music. And I've gotten to know so many people working in Villeplatte or down in New Iberia that over the years that are accordion makers or just musicians, but it is something that seems like less and less people are wanting to learn or wanting to keep those traditions alive. So really, you guys are doing such a, a great service here for the entire culture, whether that's music or dancing, of keeping it alive and educating and passing it down to the younger generation. Is that really kind of the driving force here? It's a it's a pass down thing, right? It's it's you know, it's it's an educational thing. Our, our camp has been around for a long time and been able to reach a lot of people of all ages and also been able to reach people from here, like yourself, that might have experienced it at their home. You know, their grandpa might have played two or three songs on the accordion, and, and it was always something in their minds that they wanted to grab. And this is an opportunity to uh, take a little time off of work and focus your life on something else that is nourishing culturally, nourishing to your brain and your heart you come in and and sit kind of toe-to-toe with masters like jeffrey broussard like wayne singleton like um blake miller like david greeley like gina Forsyth, like jane vadrine and learn on an instrument that maybe you've never even picked up before or maybe you've dreamt of learning your entire life and this is an opportunity and, and an invite from me personally to come out to Balfour week this year and and see what it's all about. And even if you don't take a class this year, or even if you don't get out on the dance floor, don't get a meal from us, you can see what's going on and it might inspire you or someone in your family to come back over the next couple of years and sign up for the camp and be a part of it and, and understand what this is. It's really different than kind of anything that we see here. It's not just a festival. It's not just people on a stage. It's classroom setting. So in the mornings, we'll have folks on uh, instrument intensives, two courses, two um, sections of instrument classes in the morning from beginning fiddle to advanced fiddle to accordion classes, creole accordion classes, creole fiddle classes, guitar classes, all of the good stuff. Uh, and then in the afternoons, culture sessions where we share stories, master classes with true masters on their instruments, dance lessons, of course, our di- nightly dances, amazing food from locals and from Kelsey Leger, our chef here from Lafayette, who's amazing. And just there's it's going to be action packed. There's going to be so much going on. So we invite you again to come out to Balfour Week at Lakeview Park, March 20th through the 26th. Classes start on the 21st. Uh, they go through the 24th. Gino Delafosse plays on the weekend. We culminate the whole week, the Crawfish Etouffee cook-off in Eunice. So there's there's a ton going on. We know what spring's like in Louisiana. You know, we still get a little bit of our, our fair weather by the end of March there. And it's going to be really, really nice before it gets hot. And, and it's just a good time. So we totally invite you to come out to Lakeview Park and, and enjoy it with us. <laughs> Joseph, before I let you go, please tell the folks where they can go to get additional information about the event and everything involved with it. Uh, In the modern age, uh, you can go on our social media pages, Louisiana Folk Roots, at Instagram, 
on Facebook. Uh, the old-fashioned way now is a website, right? <laughs> LAFolkRoots.org. That's a .org, LA Folk Roots. Uh, you can register there. You can find out information about schedule, nightly dance schedule, and you can buy your tickets there. So it's, that's a good place. Uh, and then keep listening in on all the Delta Media sources. It seems like uh, we'll have a few interviews out there and all of the media sources around. So check it out. Joseph, thank you for your time. Once again, that's Joseph Vidrine. Balfour Week is going to be March 20th to the 26th at Lakeview Park there in Eunice. Music, culture, dancing, a great time. Of course, I'm a big fella. There's going to be great food as well, so that appeals to me. Can't wait to go check it out and make sure you do the same. Once again, if you want more information, go check it out. we got to take a time out. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Selection Sunday is just a few days away. We'll find out the complete brackets for both the NCAA men's tournament as well as the women's tournament. And But some things will have to be decided. Seeding will be taking place. Some bubble teams are in danger right now as conference tournaments wrap up. And to give us insight on all of that is our good friend from the Sporting News, the award-winning columnist reporter Bill Bender joins us now. Bill, good morning to you, brother. you got to love this time of year, my friend. Did we lose Bill? Hello? There we are, bud. Hello? Can you hear me now? Oh, I had had it on mute. I was talking to my wife. So, uh, <laughs> um, this is my favorite week of the year. It's uh favorite. This one is actually my favorite week with everybody clinching bids and cover to cover basketball, kind of trying to figure out who your sleepers are. And, uh, you know, you'll hear it every year. And I think in this particular year, it adds up. I mean, it's going to be a wide open tournament, RP. That it is. And look, that's the that's the correct move. Muting us to talk to the wife. That's always what you should do in case you didn't know that already, because that's what I do. <laughs> so no, no no worries there yeah it feels wide open I, I know uh, you know we're locked in with some of the teams that are going to be one seeds and you know Kansas Alabama Houston I, I get all that but boy it sure does feel like to me that we could have a final four this year over in Houston that doesn't feature a single one seed or two seed I mean it just feels that way to me yeah and those are you know we get all excited about filling out a bracket but um it's it's definitely uh, one of those things where um, it'll be it'll be fun to see. It, it'll be fun to see. I think it has some it, depending on what kind of style you want to pick. Any of these teams could win. Like, do you think you won a defensive team? Now UCLA had a key injury. They're probably one. Houston and UCLA play a lot of defense. Gonzaga led the nation in scoring and looked very good the other night, and they probably. They might be a two seed. I think they'll be a three. Um, and then, uh, you know, like the talented teams, like they're starting to come together. Kentucky poised to make a run in the SEC tournament, maybe 
avenge last year. People, I think people are going to be off Kentucky a little bit because of what happened in their brackets last year, and that's still a very talented team and a very deep SEC that will be on display today. Teams that we know aren't going to be making the tournament, it looks like North Carolina, who played for the national title last year inside the Superdome, is not going to make the field. Michigan, who is you know a team that a lot of folks thought would be in the tournament again, they're not going to be there. Uh, when it comes to those two kind of big programs, what went wrong for them this year, in your opinion, Bill? Well, Michigan's young. I mean, they, they had Hunter Dickinson back, but after that, they had a lot of experience in the backcourt. And, you know, for them, that 2015, they've made the tournament every, every season since. So this is going to be a key point for Juwan Howard to get them going into next year. I mean, when John Beeline was there, he took that kind of team and you'd be they'd go on some really deep runs. So um, North Carolina is just a head-scratcher. That's a really good team. I think... I still think there's a chance that they slip in. I, I would not write it off. I, I know most people are saying they're out, but if for some reason, and I know the quad one wins is something, but it's like they still wear North Carolina uniforms, and if some of these other bubble teams lose, it would give them an excuse to get in. But I, I'm going to trust everybody else in the business that does this better than I do. It, it does look like they're out. I want to talk about the Big East and – some news came out in the last, you know, few days. So we have Jim Beheim announcing that he's stepping down finally after an entire lifetime playing and coaching at Syracuse. And then we find out that Patrick Ewing is going to be let go by Georgetown and you know, I for the uh, for those of us of a certain age, Big East basketball and being able to watch it on television kind of just made a huge part in our lives right made a huge stamp on our childhoods and seeing Georgetown be nothing like it used to be and now Jim Beheim is stepping away from Syracuse it feels like the last remnants of the old Big East are now kind of gone am I being a little too dramatic there Bill or no no I mean it's, that was big Monday man and I grew up in Big Ten country we still watch those games we would watch Georgetown and UConn and, and Syracuse and Providence and, and all those schools that went at it. Now, some of them are still – I still watch Big East basketball because you know, I grew up Catholic and a lot of the Catholic schools are in that league. Um, and, you know, so I was watching Xavier last night, Xavier DePaul. But you're right. I mean, that was a, an, a golden age of basketball when Patrick Ewing was playing center and Villanova was – winning national championships. The Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry, really, for the 80s and 90s, was the premier rivalry in basketball other than, you know, Duke-North Carolina. Probably more so, because more... I would, Wouldn't you say that, like, in the 80s, you and I probably watched Georgetown-Syracuse more than Duke-North Carolina? Yes. Absolutely. That, that, that was the rivalry that nationwide mattered most, and I lived in the South and I lived in the Midwest, and that's the one that mattered most to me, it's not that Duke, North Carolina wasn't great, but that really didn't kind of ratchet up until, for me, until the 90s after Kay finally broke through with Leitner and Grant Hill and Bobby Hurley, and then Dean uh, won another national championship as well. So, you know, it, it started to kind of build up steam nationally for me in the 90s, but, I mean, you're talking 80s into the 90s, Georgetown, Syracuse, all day long. Yeah, and it was so fun, and, and part of that Big East that, you know, we enjoyed watching. I, I think in Big Ten country, 
we the rivalry shift in this this conference like it's supposed to be Indiana and Purdue or Indiana and Ohio State um you know, for the last decade, I mean, with the exception of this year, I would have argued Michigan, Michigan State is probably the best rivalry in the conference. But the, the Big Ten has a lot of just shifting you know, rivalries. And it's because a lot of these schools go from being bad to really good. Ohio State's having a nice run right now. And then I think it's kind of like that in the SEC, where you have, you know, Kentucky's obviously the school we've, national writers, paid most attention to. But, uh, it kind of shifts what the big rivalry in the SEC is. In the 90s, it was probably Kentucky and Arkansas. Absolutely. The running, uh, the, the running Razorbacks and the, uh, you know, what Coach was able to do there with that group and then winning the, winning the title. Uh, you, you mentioned the SEC. You already mentioned kind of Kentucky. Alabama has all the distractions in the world, and they are going to be the villain of this tournament. And there's going to be no doubt about that. Do you believe Nate Oates and that team, as talented as they are, can they deal with being the villains and having everyone want them to lose? Well, it's tough to say because you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids. Um, I don't know. You know, they haven't. They, they're going to go through a lot in the next three weeks, but starting with the pressure of playing at the highest level. You know, Miller talked to the press this week and. You know, people are going to have their mind made up, so to speak, already. I, I saw the ESPN story. It's just a lot that doesn't have to do with basketball that they're dealing with. And the other thing, and you, you bring up a good point, they're, they were undefeated at home this year. Now they're going to be on neutral sites, and when they get into the neutral sites next week, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in the program. But a number one seed normally, when they get on a neutral site, People are going to already be rooting against them for the other schools that are there. That's true. That's true. You know, when I also look at the the landscape for this year, specifically for the men's tournament, oddly enough, even though Kansas is going to be a one seed, it doesn't feel like we were talking about Kansas, which is I think goes right into Bill Self's hands. I think he loves that. Uh, it's difficult to repeat in college basketball. It's it's almost nearly impossible. Oh, what do you like about this Jayhawks team, and what don't you like about the Jayhawks team? Because they do play in the best conference for basketball right now this year. Well, Bill Self, you're hoping he's healthy. He missed yesterday yesterday's game with a health issue. Let's hope that changes and that he's okay. I mean, they do have the best starting five on the depth, but you know, with that starting five with Wilson and Harris and you throw Grady Dick on top of that, the talented freshman. They're good. Uh, and they're probably my pick to win it right now. But it could change in the tournament. Like you said, there's so many teams that can bust through this. And uh, some of it's the blue bloods and that kind of thing. But I, I do think Kansas is the first team in a while that has a legitimate chance to repeat like Florida did back in 06, 07 with those loaded Florida teams. And Florida, what I remember about them, other than the fact that they were a dominant rebounding team, was they had the best starting five. Correct. Noah, Horford, Brewer. And if you stay out of foul trouble, that goes a long way in the tournament. Bill, with conference tournaments winding down, who are some of the teams that you're keeping an eye on 
because the way they're playing, both good or bad, uh, heading into Selection Sunday? Who's, who's kind of catching your eye? Well, Arizona State could steal this last bid. Um, you know, big win over USC tonight, uh, or last night. Utah State, that Mountain West Conference, I'll probably watch some of those games. Today is loaded. It goes from noon to midnight. I know in the SEC you get started with Alabama at 1. That's Again, this is why it's one of my favorite days. You know, starting at noon, we have basketball until 1, a, 1, p, 1 a.m., 1, 2 a.m. So you enjoy the games and um, – be watching my alma mater today, Ohio Bobcats. They play Toledo, so that's the game I'll probably be most focused on because we love the MAC tournament around here. All four schools in the MAC tournament are really good: um, Akron, Toledo, Kent State, and Ohio. So it's one of those small conferences you got to watch. Brother, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the day. Just make sure you uh, hydrate properly and make sure you have plenty of healthy snacks nearby. I will. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. Maybe next time we'll talk some college football, but it is March. That's when you talk basketball. Gotcha, brother. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. Vian. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh, need to shut out New Iberia Senior High School. They're the one seed in the Division I non-select brackets, and they took down Walker 47-43. to That game didn't tip off until like 9 o'clock over in Lake Charles at Burden Coliseum where they're holding the state championships, the semifinals and the state championships. But Nish pushes through. They're going to be taking on Ponchatoula, who defeated Ruston 62-55. to That will be your Division I non-select state championship game on Saturday. Nish versus Ponchatoula. Best of luck to the Yellow Jackets. Of course, another area team will be moving on. They'll be playing for a state championship game. That's North Central and St. Landry Parish. So best of luck to North Central and to New Iberia Senior High School. Hopefully they can bring home some. They're going to bring home hardware because the runner-up gets yeah. a very nice trophy. But hopefully they'll get the uh, the hardware they really want, state championship hardware. Yeah, and if, uh, if you've been confused by me trying to go through some of the bracketology stuff in college basketball, if you want to be really confused, get yourself a pencil and paper out later today and try to figure out the new Louisiana high school sports playoff brackets with the select and non-select and who gets put in select. And go ahead and try to figure that one out and get back to me, anybody who's listening. I don't recommend that. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not optimal. Let's just say that. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, James Yasko from the Lehman Time Time podcast, Jacques Doucet from WAFB, Joe Vedrain from BAFTA Week, and, of course, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. We did ask a poll question of the day today. Do you think Matt McMahon – can turn around the LSU men's basketball program. Final results, 45% of you say yes. 
31% say no, 24% say not sure yet. Jury is still out. Ton on Twitter says, not sure yet. Let's see how he does with better quality talent slash recruitment. Don't forget, he led them to defeat Arkansas earlier in the year. That's correct. I just think you're going to have to give Matt McMahon time. And I think this season proved that more than anything. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who commented as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Paul oh, Bud, what a week. Started off in P. Cola, ends up right here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. What yeah, you know, it was a it was a long week. You can't you can't win every game you play, and I feel like we probably dropped a couple well, I probably dropped a couple of midweek contests this week, but you still have a resume that's maybe gonna be good enough to get yourself into the tournament. So we've been playing well overall for the it's it's about the course of the season, right? Not one bad week. So That's right, Bud. Yeah. You just got to dust yourself off, get right back up. Headed to the Big Easy to cover the Pelicans tomorrow for the station. Keep an eye out on Twitter for the updates from that one. Hopefully, they can win a game without 17 of their starters. <laughs> and keep things rolling to get in the playing tournament. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. That's right. D'Lo will be down in the Big Easy covering the Pelicans for us tomorrow night. So, got to make sure to watch out for that. Also, hey, look out on Sunday. We're going to have you taken care of for Selection Sunday Story on LSU women, where they'll be headed, what seating they got, and then, of course, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, where they're going to be headed for the men's tournament. So make sure to hey check in to 1037thegame and 1041thegame.com all weekend long because we're going to have you covered for all types of great content. Also, Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next as always. And for anyone out there, keep an eye or an ear out because I'm going to be informing Kevin that it's now basically impossible for the Cajuns to play in Birmingham and he might have a nervous breakdown on the air. So that should be fun. Cat, why can't they just go play in Birmingham, Cat? Like, why is that a deal? Like, God bless him. For the producer, soon to be extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, aka Delo. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again Monday morning, 6 to 9. But until then, Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.